today's lesson, and just as a heads up, this is a part two, one and two this week and next, so uh, you can relax and breathe a little bit. I'm not going to try to cram it in. And the reason is, is that you, do you remember when we did the Psalms, we did the prophetic Psalms, and we just how it walked through the Psalms to uh, the New Testament and how Christ fulfilled or was going to fulfill, uh, I, and it was, it was a summary. I felt like it could have been a summary. Do you remember when David Borgadu thought we were done? <laughs> He's like, oh yeah, it's great, we're done, see you later. Uh, but anyway, um, it was just kind of a summary. It was a couple, I think it was at least two weeks, maybe if not more, of a big picture. So if you wanted to know to number our days, you could have used those, taken those lessons. I, I feel like today and next week is going to be a summary of if you wanted a timeline, this is going to be a timeline. Uh, but let's jump in if we can. We're going to go to Matthew 24. This is the famous chapter, right? It's the swirly chapter. It's the squirrely chapter. It's the one like, it's taking you 24 lessons to get to this chapter. Yep. And now I know why it's going to take a couple lessons. Uh, but when you look at Matthew 24, uh, if you guys would, we'll start in verse 1. Matthew 24 says this, As Jesus left and was going out of the temple complex, his disciples came up and called his attention to the temple buildings. In other words, imagine this. They're, you know, on the Temple Mount, right, in, in Jerusalem. They're next to the, the Kidron Valley, which is next to the Mount of Olives. And, and by the way, when we say the Mount of Olives, like, it's really, it's not that far. Like, literally, you can walk through the valley and get there in probably 10, 15 minutes of walk. You can see it very clearly. I just think sometimes we have this image of everything is so big. This in this context, they're just walking out of the temple complex. His disciples come up and they're looking at all these temple buildings because, Kevin, at this point, there's a temple. Correct. Talk to us just a little bit about that. It would have been the temple that uh, Zerubbabel had went back out of captivity and, thanks, uh, and rebuilt. And rebuilt. The first temple would have been built by? Solomon. Solomon. So King David's son, Solomon. And then, Kevin, that then, what happened to that? Uh, Solomon's temple was destroyed in, when the Babylonians carried the southern kingdom off. I think, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm making assumptions, okay? So this might, might not be fair for you guys, but I think the American church, sometimes as I've traveled, I think when you think Christ is on earth, that the temple is gone. They're, they're staring at it, Right? I just, I want you to be aware of that context of it's right there. The temple's there and Christ is there. So you have the first temple gone after Solomon, right? 586, the Babylonians. And then Kevin, you said you referenced the second temple. The second temple is what we're talking about, right? Correct. Herod is cleaning it up, what Zerubbabel built, right? Correct. So you have this language of, uh, uh, and, and really th there's some commentaries that say even the temple was not even complete, completely finished at that point, even Christ was there. It was always still being worked on. So in this imagery, you have this temple. Now, let me just ask you and go to Ray here for a second. Ray, if that temple is there, what are they doing at that temple? Yeah, they're doing the sacrifices. They're doing the normal worship uh, that was prescribed under the Mosaic law. That's weird to think Jesus, the Messiah, is walking around in the temples there and they're offering sacrifices. Just, I want you to slow down and picture that dialogue, that timing. And these disciples are trying to like, figure everything out and yeah right and that jesus participated in yeah well that'll mess everybody's theology he called his attention so they're like hey what do you think about that building over there and in verse 2 of matthew 24 so there's a second temple he replied to them don't you see all of these things now when he says 
I'll get into the, these things, but I want you to understand when you think of the Temple Mount, uh, may, this might be something here I'll, I'll get to. I'm going to go to a little bit of a drawing here. This has always helped me. When you go to Old City today, okay, let's just say this is Old City. Okay, well, now when I say Old City, we're talking about the time of Christ, okay? Now, in Old City, Rich, you're going to love this dialogue, this drawing. Okay, let's just say right here is the Temple Mount, okay? Now, today, for this context, this would be like what we call the Western Wall. If you guys have ever been to Israel, right, this is the Western Wall. Now, over here would be, Rich, you remember what this part is called over here? Southern Steps. You got the Southern Steps. Probably one of the only places in all of Israel that they'd say, that's where Christ really was, okay? If you go, when you go, please receive that, by the way. Uh, you will encounter just a, a new experience of this is where the Messiah walked. So now in this context, though, you would have now today you have what's called the al Mosque and the Dome of the Rock. You have these two uh, Islamic buildings, one of the holiest, two holiest sites in all of uh, the Islamic faith that the Muslims go and practice. And are you showing a picture already? Yeah, okay. And so here's what you're going to see is uh, all the way over here, this is that wall, right? So now all of this... I'm going to come back over here in my drawing, is like, this is going to sound sacrilegious, it's a mall. It's a big strip mall. What I mean by that is, you know how you have multiple buildings on top of something? So you have stuff here, you have stuff here, so, and then obviously you have the temple. I, I'm not doing this justice, I'm just trying to show you multiple buildings would have compiled on top of the temple mount. You know, go back to verse 1, Kevin. You know, it says, they're all, as they're leaving the temple complex, his disciples came and called his attention to the temple buildings. So when you study the Old Testament, you begin to understand, you know, the court of the Gentiles, you have all of these different components. And then he says, don't you see all these things? I assure you, not one stone will be left on here on another that will not be thrown down. Now, automatically, I'm just going to go theologically and historically on this one. When we hear that eventually everything's going to be thrown down, typically, Kevin, where do we go? We go to when it was destroyed in 70 A.D., of Herod's temple, the temple they're looking at, yep. is gone. So that's a, that's a logical way to approach this. It's very practical, historically. But can I just tell you something? Whenever we hear things of the prophetic, typically, Kevin, what is the phrase that we use? Uh, now and not yet. Yeah, already, not but yet. not yet, right? So when you look at this text, yes, it is going to happen in 70 AD. Yes. But what you're going to see in the rest of Matthew 24 doesn't necessarily fit with just staying at 70 AD. Does that make sense? There's more to the fulfillment of this text. But if you say, well, it's 70 AD, yeah, it's part of it. Absolutely. But there's a whole lot more that as you begin to get into this, you're like, hey, I think there's more to this text. So remember, I just want you to keep going deeper, keep going deeper and say, Lord, what does this look like? So Jesus is saying, hey, not one stone is going to be left here on another that will not be thrown down. Ray, you want to add anything to that? No, I think that's really good. I, you know, I think you're bringing up a great point. Sometimes when we read this, we don't realize the lens we're looking through. They weren't looking through our lens. We're they looking they through didn't our, know about 70 AD. They didn't know about 70 that's AD. Right. So you can make a pretty strong case, even though... There's a partial fulfillment because actually it's, you know, I don't know in the end whether the Temple Mount's going to be destroyed, but there's still stones on top of each other, Yeah. Uh, you know, with just the Mount itself. Like you, and you say that, you're talking about today. 
Yeah, I'm saying 70 AD didn't wipe out every single stone. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's that literal when we get to the end, but I just think of it in terms, we look back through a historical lens and we can't see past 70 AD. Yeah. And they didn't have that lens. Mm. And so there's enough in Matthew 24 that hasn't been fulfilled. Mm. So if you're a disciple listening to Jesus, not having a historical lens looking backwards, he's talking about the future. Okay, so just as a backdrop, okay, we're not saying that part of it didn't happen. I am just saying there's more. So now when you go to Matthew 24, verse 3, and uh, let, me, let me read this text, and I want to go back to that picture that you had earlier. While he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, now remember, it's not far. The disciples approached him privately and said, hey, tell us when these things will happen. When will these things happen? And what is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now let's go to that big picture that you had there, if you don't mind. Okay, now think about it this way. Okay, this right here is the Mount of Olives. Okay, this, uh, yeah, this right here would be the Kidron Valley between the wall and here. Okay, so from, I can't draw on that. <laughs> from here to here, you have the Kidron Valley. So this isn't that far. So they're leaving the temple complex. They're processing in their heads. You know, I just heard him say, not everything, all these things are going to be thrown up, right? They're going to be thrown down to the ground. And, uh, you know, in this context, they're probably like, man, what did he mean by that? You guys ever read anything in scripture and you're kind of like, man, but the only way you know is when you spend time with him. And can I just encourage you, if you want to hear more clearly from the Lord, spend time with him. Ask him questions. He loves to answer what you're questioning. He loves to. What I hear most times out on the streets and with people is they say, oh, I have all kinds of questions. And I say, have you ever asked him? No. Spend time with him. And so here's what you have in Matthew 24, 3, right? You have these guys that says the disciples approached him. Now, Kevin, if you would, would you go to Mark 13? Mark 13, uh, verse 3, okay? Mark 13, verse 3. This is who's asking him these questions. It says, while he was sitting on the Mount of Olives across from the temple complex, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately. You can go to verse 4 just so you can see this context. Uh, Mark 13, verse 4. So these guys are asking this question. Tell us when these things will happen. So I want you to have this mentality. Four people are dialoguing with Jesus. That's his audience. Peter, James, John, and Andrew. So what are they after? Kevin, you can go back to Mark 24. They want to know, can I summarize with the title of our lesson, the signs of the times. They want to know, hey, how is this all going to unfold because Ray ultimately what are they after well they're they're wanting to know if he's going to return in their lifetime yeah Kevin they were also looking for somebody to come take them out from underneath the oppression of the Roman Empire and so he's some of what they're asking is are you doing that now can you go to Acts 1 verse 6 and 7 this is an interesting dialogue with this but I just want to let you know, I am in no hurry with this lesson. I just want us to slow down. You got Peter, James, John, Andrew talking to, the, to Jesus on the Mount of Olives. He just got done talking about the temple complex. Acts 1, 6, 7 says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? This is the thought process. Now, Kevin, in Acts 1, 6, and 7, he's already what? He's there. He's already died. He's already come back to life. 
right? Correct. So in this context, he's back on earth for a couple days, 40 days, I believe, right? And so they're saying, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom? Like right now they're seeing him. And he says in Acts 1, 7, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the father has set by his own authority. So in Matthew 24, guess what they're doing? They're asking the question. In Acts 1, what are they doing? They're asking the question. You know what that says to me? Cut yourself some slack if you don't know the time. Relax if you can't pinpoint it and say, oh, I saw it on Fox News. Oh, I saw something in CNN. It's got to be a trigger. Like, I, I understand because the whole point of today is to give you some signs of the times. But I'm also here to tell you, you're not going to get it all figured out. Now, here's what's interesting, though. I'm going to pull back just for a second. I think we can get closer. I want you to go to Matthew 24, 32, and 33. I do, I'm going to do something today. It makes me uncomfortable. I am not going to go verse by verse. I'm going to go ahead and come back. <laughs> when you teach, there are certain styles. So this makes me a little bit uncomfortable, but I want you to know this. Matthew 24, 32 says this. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. As soon as its branch becomes tender and sprouts, leaf, uh, sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. In other words, if you uh, work with anything of ag, you know that as soon as the branch becomes tender and you start seeing leaves, you know, hey, summer's coming. So you can see something visually and know that my season is coming. If you had no calendar, if your iPhone doesn't work, if your Apple phone doesn't work, if your computer's not working, you could actually do life outside of that, by the way. You could actually function on a farm with no news, no newspapers, and you could tell what the four seasons are if you lived in the Midwest. If you lived in Texas, that's not the case. You know what I'm saying, though? Like, you could see just by seeing the seasons, oh, yeah, summer's getting, it's getting hotter. I'm seeing a visual. So what I want to say about the signs of the times, you ready for this one? This is a little bit different. In your spirit, you'll know. You just know you're getting closer. I can't describe it when I tell you, I actually think we are going to be a part of experiencing the return of Christ. But Paul thought the same thing. Because when you live like you're numbering your days and you're watching for certain things and you're looking for certain things, you are ready to embrace his return. And so in Matthew 24, it says, hey, look, I'm seeing the seasons. Something is coming. The summer is coming. So in Matthew 24, 33, it says, in the same way, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near at the door. So what was their original question? Kevin, what was their original question? Remember that with the guys in Matthew 24 earlier on, you remember? Uh, what are we gonna see, basically? What, yeah, how in do verse, we know? Go back to verse three. So this is their question, right? Matthew 24, three. They're like, hey, when will these things happen? What is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. And so let's do this if we can. I just, I want to write these questions out. If you guys are people that like to write things, I just, I wrote these down. When will these things happen? Remember, at the end of Matthew 24, Jesus then says, I will show you some indicators. You're going to see some things and you're going to know that things are near. Okay, number two, they say, remember, remember the four disciples? Kevin, do you remember who the four disciples are? James, John, Andrew, and Peter. You got it. So you got two brothers and two brothers? James yeah. and John and Peter and Andrew, right? 
So what is the sign of your coming? I don't want us to miss these questions because it's kind of the point of what we're doing today. And then what is the sign of the end of the age? And so he says this very simply in Matthew 24, verse 4. Then Jesus replied to their questions. And I love this, by the way. Jesus wants to hear your questions. If you're struggling with something, come to him. And he says, watch out that no one deceives you. So his first thing that he has is as a part of, of, of the signs of times, okay, is he very simply, he gives what we would call a warning. It's a light. It's a sign. It's, hey, by the way, look out for these things. But if you're not in the word getting to know him, you really don't even understand what you're looking for. And you see in Matthew 24, verse 5, it just says this, for many, this is Jesus talking to his 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 buddies, right? His disciples. Many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. So one of the warnings, one of the, I would say, indicators that Jesus says is you're going to see false messiahs. You know, you can have fun with this online, by the way. If you do a search, you will get a list of a plethora of people believing that they're Jesus. The problem is, is they weren't perfect. They didn't die on a cross and they never came back to life. How do people believe that they're legit messiahs unless they don't know the word? So a warning for us is in order to see the false messiahs, my brother-in-law is a federal agent, and I remember he used to always say this, and at Dallas Seminary, they used to always do this. With trainings, you never studied the false things. You only studied the real deal. So don't be consumed with like, oh, what does that guy look like? So I'm not stuck in who he is. Man, when you know the Messiah, you'll be like, dude, that guy is totally off his rocker. His accent was bad. <laughs> I have no problem saying that kind of stuff. Because when a guy imitates Christ, he's been drinking the Kool-Aid for way too long. Okay, one of the things I totally left out, it's kind of a big one, is uh, how do we call all of these things? Kevin, can you go to Matthew 24, 8? Remember I told you I'm not doing inflow, and it's, it's a little... All of these things that we're going to describe that Jesus talks about, all of these events are called the beginning of birth pains. So what I'm going to describe in this list, okay, Christ categorizes them as birth pains. Just the beginning. Just the beginning. The things that we're talking about, the false messiahs, things that we're going to get into are just what we would call the, the birth pains. Now, the great part of this whole thing is, is that the guys that have the microphones, none of us are girls. So I can't ask any of them about birth pains. It's not going to work. Kevin, you want to try? Nope. A birth pain. Ray, why don't you try? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like a kidney stone. No. Uh, a really bad yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. So what we do you know, intellectually, no, not experientially, is the closer you get to the birth, the more frequent the pain and the more intense the pain. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that's the description that these things So you are said gonna, the, the more frequent? Yep. And say it again. And the more intense. And the more intense. Good. I want to go to the number, uh, go to verse six. Uh, it just says this, you are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. Okay, see that you are not alarmed 
because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. So, okay, so another birth pain, and they categorize it as wars and rumors of wars. Now, I did a study on, on some of this. Uh, let me see if I can go here. Okay, this is interesting. I'll just go to the global deaths, okay, uh, our world and data. And by the way, I'll make a disclaimer already. Statistics can be used any way you want, okay? So I am not communicating this is the dogmatic only way to look at this, okay? This was just in my limited research of what I found. It seemed to be consistent in regards to war, okay? So when we're talking about birth pains and looking for wars and rumors of wars, what would I be looking for? I would look to see is it what? Picking up, right? That, that's, as a watchman, that's my mentality. Signs of times, are there more fighting taking place? Is there more of that rumors of war? So when you look at this global deaths in conflict since the year 1400, put out by this guy named Max Roser, uh, what you'll begin to see is, I mean, just by a simple map, like it looks, I don't even have to go into depth. It doesn't look like it's going crazy high, does it? I mean, it, yeah, maybe here it is a little bit, the War of the Spanish Revolution. And then, interesting enough, at the genocide of the Jews, it picked up. But then you start getting the Vietnam War, you get an Afghan Civil War, genocide in Rwanda. Now, this is up to 2000. But even if this is the context, okay, I want to go to one more here. Uh, here's the death rate. So let's just look at it in a death rate. Now, it says wars and rumors of war. But to me, if there's more wars, what should you see more of? More deaths, you would, you would think at least. That would be my, my principal concept. Now this goes up to 2013 and, and a couple of things, but look in the 1950s to 2010. We just do fighting totally different now. So this might not be a fair gauge, but what I wanted to see is, am I seeing anything on the uptick? Now, what we did talk about that I do think is really interesting is let's talk about the, the rumors of war. You know, you listen to the media you would feel like hell's coming like right now. Everything's falling. Maybe that's the case. But I do want you to know you have wars, at least the war side of things is not picking up. Now the rumors of wars, I don't know how you gauge that. But I think Ray is fair. It feels like there's more fighting, even though we don't tangibly see it maybe. Yeah. Does that make sense? But these are signs that I want to look for. These are indicators that you and I, as signs of the times, are birth pains. What we should see, and Ray said this, is they should be more frequent and they should be more intense. Okay, again, there's different ways you could gauge this. Somebody could come to the table and say, you know what, there are more wars. There could be more fighting. That could be the case. But from what I can tell from my perspective, it's there and it's happening, but I don't know if it's on an uprise. Okay? Let's keep going if we can. Go to verse 7, Matthew 24, verse 7. For nation will rise uh, against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Okay, so one of your birth pains is that you're going to see nation against nation. Ray, you want to describe the nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom? Well, I think it, um, I think kingdom is a bigger uh, aspect. Uh, and, you know, you could look at that as alliances. Uh, you know, if you think about World War II, you can think about the Allied versus 
you know, Germany and Japan, the Axis forces. I look at kingdom as a bigger collective than nation. And it's just showing it's going to be not only on a small scale, but on a big scale. That groups are going to come together uh, and fight, but they're also going to be infighting amongst that. Even the statue of Nebuchadnezzar's dream talks about the end times kingdom itself. There's going to be infighting. Infighting. Talks about the clay, feet of clay and iron that don't get along. Yeah. And so they're, this kingdom is fragilely being held together by a hatred of Israel is what we believe. And it's, but there's infighting. This is a, it's, it's getting more and more chaotic. Uh, I want to just say this. I want to tie in some things here, Ray, and I think this is important if you want to go there. In Revelation 6, okay, in Revelation 6, it talks about what's called the seals, okay? We're going to get into more in depth, uh, hopefully down the road here, but I do want, and Ray brings up a great point on this. In Revelation 6, what you see is a comparison to the first seal. Ray, uh, let me read this. And then if you'll unpack that a little bit, if you don't mind. Revelation 6, verse 2, he says, I looked, there was a white horse on it, had a bow, a crown was given to him, and he went out as a victor to conquer. Now, I know when you start pulling verses in Revelation without a bigger context, you're kind of like, eh, what are we talking about here? I just want to start showing you a comparison, okay, that I love what Ray does from the seals to Matthew 24, okay? Now, one of the first signs of a birth pain, not the only one, is a false messiah. According to Revelation 6.2 and 6.3, what do we see, Ray? Uh, that's that's uh, the Antichrist. And so there's, you know, like I was saying, compare. We can walk through the six seals of Revelation, uh, the seven seals of Revelation, and it fits right in alignment with Matthew 24. And so just looking at, you know, Matthew 24.5, many will come in my name and mislead many, these false messiahs. And here in the first seal that's broken and revealed is the Antichrist. Uh, and the reason he's on a white horse and a crown, he's a false Jesus. Because Jesus, later in Revelation, comes on a white horse. Good. And so uh, the bow is the, is the war aspect of what he brings. Okay, so then let's keep going here. So when we talk about the false messiahs, you can tie that into Revelation 6, verse 2. Okay? Now, when you look at the wars and rumors of wars, the birth pains, okay? I, I know we're throwing a lot, okay? But hang in here with me. The wars and rumors of wars. Now you're talking about what the apostle John is writing. He's on an island, right? He sees a vision from the Lord, and now what is he doing? He's articulating the seals, these seven seals. Now, this, the Revelation 6, 3 and 4, it says this. When he opened the second seal... Uh, uh, I heard the second living creature say, come. Then another horse went out, a fiery red one. And its horseman was empowered to take peace from the earth so that people would slaughter one another and a large sword was given to him. Now you have a second horse, a red horse. And Ray, let's break, uh, uh, unpack that if you don't Yeah, mind. so that's basically the comparison of Matthew 24, 6, the wars and rumors of wars. Here is a revelation example of that. When you really, some of what helps tie Matthew 24 with Revelation uh, 6, 7, and 8 is simplifying what's being said. And so if you boil down what's being said in Revelation 6, 4, it's nation rising against nation. That's right. So all of these all fit here. Wars, rumors of wars, nation versus nation, kingdom versus kingdom, 
would identify with the second seal, Revelation 6, 3, and 4. If you needed another visual, you have the white horse, right? And then you have the red horse, just practically thinking through things, okay? Now, I want to keep going, okay? If you go back, Kevin, to Matthew 24, verse 7, I'm still talking about the birth pains, okay? I'm still talking about the birth pains. This is a continuation, okay? And then what you're going to see is famines. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Okay, now clearly, you know, a famine. Kevin, how would you define with your background in ag? How would you get to the point of what a famine is? Uh, no food and no hope of food being grown. It's really good, actually, Kevin. That was very technical. Thank you. Okay, now let's watch this as it gets to get into the third seal. Okay, you don't have any food. Okay, now the third seal, Revelation 6. It's Revelation 6. Oh. Five and six. Okay, let's go there if we can. Revelation 6, 5 and 6. When he opened the third seal. Okay, are you guys tracking with me? First seal, white. Second seal, red. Third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked, and there it says it was a black horse. The horseman on it had a balanced scale in his hand. Then I heard something like a voice among four living creatures uh, say, a quart of wheat for a denarii and three quarts of a barley for a denarii, but do not harm the olive oil and the wine. Ray, what is this a picture of? So that in, in its simplest form, food is scarce. Yeah. It's, it's tying into the famine that Matthew 24 is talking about. Now, uh, on the famine side of things, again, I, I just want to tell you this already in regards to um, uh, in regards to the famines. I got to tell you, this is going to sound really non-compassionate. I thought we'd see a whole uptick of famine. Everything I looked into and I studied, it says the annual rate of people dying due to a famine globally per decade, it's, di it's declining. Now, I'm sure there's study with a different lens and a different perspective. So I, I just want you to hear my heart behind this. Like, I was looking, in my mind, I wanted to do what? Not, that sounds awful, by the way. Uh, I don't mean it like that with being non-compassionate towards people. Like, my point is, is that these, these signs, you want things to increase. And in fact, if you really study in depth more and more of this, you're like, man, it's really, even with these... Um, uh, dictators in countries, like, you, you know, they're hoarding the money and they're not distributing the funds. Like, even with all of that happening, people are still getting food because of relief that's coming. So anyway, I just, I want to just point out a couple of things. I, I'm looking for these things. And again, just what are we watching for? All I want us to do is be looking for the signs. When you watch the news, this is my lens. It's really not Democrat or Republican, by the way. I want to know what are the indicators to get me closer to his return. Okay, a couple other aspects here if we can. We are numbering our days, and what did Christ tell us to look for? Birth pains. Well, famines. Uh, and then the, there's one other layer here into this, okay? I never thought this would take this whole time. Wow. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. So... 
uh, one of the last indicators right here that Christ says is a birth pain is earthquakes. Okay? Uh, you know, I've only been and experienced one in my life. I was with my wife. We were sitting at our kitchen table in Texas, our good friends from Minnesota. We were sitting at a round table. They just moved here, and we had a little tremor. I mean, it was enough that, like, I just thought a kid was shaking the table. Right? So we're not talking, I didn't experience life-threatening things, like nothing like that. Uh, but again, you should start seeing what we would consider an uptick. Now, I, I am going to push, I push Ray on this one. He doesn't know, but mentally I have been pushing him uh, on the fourth seal on this one. So Ray, help me on this one with Revelation uh, 6, it's 6, 7, and 8, uh, 7 and 8, sorry. Revelation 6, 7, and 8, just as a setup. So let me read this. Okay, and Ray, Ray will be fine, and I know where he's going to go with it. I just want him to articulate it, okay? When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four living creatures say, come, right? We've already heard three, the white horse, the red horse, and the black horse. Now we have a pale green horse. The horseman on it was named Death, and Hades was following after him. Authority now was given to him uh, over uh, a fourth of the earth, to kill by the sword, by famine, by plague, and by wild animals of the earth. So, Ray, how do you tie this one into earthquakes? Do you? Do you not? Did I misinterpret this one? Just explain this one for me a little bit. Well, that one is, there's a couple of them that are very challenging. And this is one of them. In fact, what I had is in Matthew, I continued Matthew 24-7 about kingdom against kingdom and famine into the fourth seal, which is famine, wars, pestilence, and wild beast. So I really moved uh, earthquake because I don't believe the seals are necessarily happening. Matthew 24. They're not happening like boom, 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 Yeah, boom. Matthew 24 yeah. is not describing order of events where I think revelation might be. And so it allows you to move some puzzle pieces around. Okay. So that's kind of what I did. That's fine. I'm a little uncomfortable with that. You might be as well, but just I'm putting it out there just so you guys are aware, like it's not 100%. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. And, and to really just to, if you think of Matthew 24 and you asked, if, if you asked Jesus and he's telling you these things are going to happen, you're going to see wars, rumors of wars, you're going to see Messiah, false messiahs, yeah. famines. He's not saying, here's your timeline. Right. He's describing things that are going to happen. Right. Where I believe John is getting a sequential yeah. chapter by chapter, breaking seals, seeing them in order. So that's why I felt the freedom yeah. to move some puzzle pieces. That's fine. Away. I just, for people who are logically going through this, Kevin, you want to add anything to this? John was one of the guys sitting there listening to Jesus feed this back, too. Well done, Kevin. That's a mic drop. That is a mic drop. <laughs> he heard Christ say it. And then he tied it in. The way that it helps me, and it's not the best way, is that this, in my opinion, represents death. So you have some aspect of all of this that to me, okay, I, I see some of this. So again, Matthew 24, Jesus is sitting down with Peter, James, John, and Andrew. And they're like, hey, when is all of this going to happen? And he said, all right, I'll tell you. Here are some signs. Here are some signs of the times. So when people want to know like the end times, we always start in Revelation. I've never figured that out. Start in Matthew 24. Really start in Genesis. <laughs> That's what we tried to do. But you see what I'm saying? Like we get so overwhelmed just start in Matthew 24. So 
one of the signs, okay? Can everybody just say it online and here? Can everybody just say birth pains? Okay, you know that it's going to become frequent and more intense. That's what's going to happen. Okay, as far as earthquake study goes, uh, I did some studies. Wendy did some studies. We found different uh, stats. Some say it's not declining, and some say it's going up, and then some say it's going down. All we have to know is that when it starts picking up more and more, you just should be ready. That's where I'd go with that one, okay? So some of your birth pains. I do want to close out with just one. I'm going to do one more point, and it's a, it's a pretty simple one. Uh, yeah, go to verse 9 if we can, please. Uh, Matthew 24, verse 9. Matthew 24, verse 9. And it says, Then they will hand you over for persecution. They will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. Now, here's what this is going to start, okay? And you're not, I'm not going to go where you probably think I'm going to go, okay? That is a picture of one of the signs, which is the tribulation. That's a picture of what's coming, okay? It doesn't necessarily mean it's starting. It's a characteristic of it. But what I want to do first, and Ray brought this to my attention, and I really like this. Before the tribulation starts, it's not in Matthew 24, so this is going to throw you off a little bit, is you have to have a peace treaty first. Before the seven years of Matthew 24, 9, I want to fill in a gap right here that says, oh, by the way, we're seeing all these signs, the false messiahs. What else are we seeing? Wars, rumors of wars, nation versus nation, kingdom versus kingdom. What's the other things? Famines and earthquakes. We're also seeing that the tribulation is coming. But in order to experience and walk into the tribulation, okay, there has to be a peace treaty. Okay? This shouldn't take too long, okay, I promise. But in the peace treaty aspect, can you, Kevin, go to Daniel 9, 27? And Ray, I really appreciate you filling in the gap for me because to me, I just jumped straight to the tribulation. But I think if we're getting a bigger picture of the timeline, you got to know an indicator that we need to be watching for is this person, that's all I'm going to say right now, that's going to initiate a peace deal. With how many nations, Ray? Ten. Ten. Daniel, well, at least 10. At least 10. And maybe more. Daniel 9, 27. Okay, Daniel 9, 27 says, He will make a firm covenant with many for one week. Now, if you're just jumping into the course and the lessons now, we've talked about this before. One week equals how long? Seven years. Seven years. So this Antichrist person is going to establish a firm covenant with at least 10 nations for seven years. Okay, so you're going to see this peace deal, this peace treaty be established. Kevin, can you go to... Uh, can I qualify that a little bit? Yeah. So it's with, it's with Israel and at least this 10 nation, but it says many, so it doesn't tell us how many, but the kingdom of the Antichrist and probably many more nations are engaged in this false peace with Israel. We're going to get into that. So here you have the kingdom of Antichrist and the Antichrist. They're making a deal. And Ray, you would say it's with Israel... Yes. And, and this end times kingdom. And kind of like World War II idea of allies, Axis powers, allies, there's, there's uh, we don't know what many means. We don't know a number. Okay, so this is really important to understand. There's going to be a peace treaty for seven years, which will launch this in Matthew 24, 9. Okay, so why I wanted to back, uh, back up, which is why I like what Ray did, is you got to establish this. So one of our signs that we should be listening for on the news, on the radio, on the internet, just in our prayer time is, Lord, has there been a peace deal that's being established somewhere? That's not being weird. That's being a watchman on the wall. 
Okay, I think sometimes people think, oh, they're the end times people, weirdos. Some, maybe us. <laughs> but watch this, it says he will make a firm covenant. Kevin, if you would, would you go to Daniel? I only got two more verses here, you guys. Daniel eleven twenty one. This is important to understand because when we use the word peace treaty, it is misleading. Okay, because we think there's going to be a time of peace for like a part of this tribulation. According to Daniel eleven twenty one, it says, in his place, a despised person will arise. Ray, who's the despised person? It's the Antichrist. The Antichrist. This Antichrist will arise. Royal honors will not be given to him, but he will come. In other words, he's going to be a sneaky Pete. He's going to come in during a time of peace and seize the kingdom by intrigue. He's going to be this Rico Suave guy. Everybody loves him. He's all of a sudden, where did this guy come from? Right? This guy that's just going to slip in is going to establish this peace with these nations. Okay? But this is where I'm going to go. So, yes, there is a time of peace at the beginning that it looks like it. Okay? In Daniel 11:21. 21. But now here's the last verse. 1 Thessalonians 5, 3. This is where Ray goes. And I love this text. And then I'll have you unpack this, Ray. 1 Thessalonians 5, 3. It says this. When they say peace and security, then sudden destruction comes on them like labor pains come on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Ray, you want to begin to unpack just this? Yeah, it's, it's Matthew 24 language, tying it all together. Um, and it's this, you know, it's, I just keep going back to World War II when Hitler would broker a peace deal with a country. Yeah. You know, looking back through a historical lens, you know as soon as he brokers a peace deal, that's the next nation he's gonna conquer. Yeah. And so it's the same thing that the Antichrist does. He brokers a peace deal so that he can work behind the scenes while they're not expecting it. He's planning for the attack. Now does that make sense why then we would jump into the tribulation after this conversation? It doesn't say that in Matthew 24. So that's where we want to pull back and what does the scriptures completely say so that we are filling in these gaps as much as we can for the signs of the times. So all we've covered today really is two signs, birth pains and peace treaty. This peace treaty though, it looks good, but it's going to be destructive. And we don't know how long that it's going to take to kick in, but it will kick in. And don't you even love this language in 1 Thessalonians? It's like labor pains. That's when you're like, oh, wow. Don't you love it when he just kind of... Thank you for putting that together for us. That really makes sense to me. And so uh, here's what I want to close, okay? Uh, first of all, <laughs> you saw my notes. We really, we made a dent. Not very much. But I hope you guys, this is slow enough, and I don't mean that in a negative way, that we can just chew on it, uh, process it, and what can I start looking for? And Christ explained this to his four disciples. And then I got carried over into a vision with John. And now we get to articulate this in prayer and be watchful and see what this does. So for me, how does this impact us to number our days? It's pretty simple. We have the kingdom of God inside of us. You and I know what's coming. Why not tell somebody ahead of time? Why not tell them, hey, by the way, I have an incredible option for you, and his name is King Jesus. 
And when we function in love, when we function in our authority that he's given us, you guys, the fear just kind of begins to melt. Whether you're dealing with COVID, whether you're dealing with racial tension, whether you're dealing with medical stuff, you can diffuse all of it with the love of Christ. And if you know what's coming, let's start telling people ahead of time.